Hey, it's Brandon. Thank you for the download and welcome back to Transform Your Workplace. Today's conversation is such a great one. You're going to love this episode. I have a conversation with Brittany Hale. She's the founder and CEO of B&D Consulting Group, where she does a ton of work related to building workplace cultures. In fact, she talks a lot about this concept of building a cultural architecture, which allows employees and leaders to follow through on this foundational piece, which is values and behaviors that uh, people should follow and that they agreed upon. So you'll, you'll love that. And then we also talk about the circumstances we're under right now, which is the health crisis, the pandemic, and the social justice movement. So we talk a lot about the business strategy for hiring for diversity and why that's so important. And then we kind of end the episode talking about the social justice movement and whether or not employers should be responding and what they should be doing at this point. So you're going to learn a lot about culture and you'll find that this is really fascinating work uh, that Brittany does. So enjoy the episode. Thanks for the download. Reach out on LinkedIn, Instagram, any of those places. Be well, be safe, and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, Brittany, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you too. So we're going to talk about culture and we're going to touch on diversity since that's such a huge component to culture. And I want to touch on some of the recent developments on just the social justice movement and some of the other toxic culture things that are popping up in the news. I think we can talk about all that because it is all relevant. It all relates to each other. I first wanted to talk about you have such an interesting background. How did you get into this culture work? Thank you again for having me. I'm really excited. Culture is my favorite thing to talk about. I am the CEO and founder of B&D Consulting Group. What we do is we build culture and core values into the infrastructure of a business so they're not losing sight of their why as they scale. And I came to that after being an undefeated trial attorney, a, a political official. <laughs> I've worked in risk management, business engagement. I've worked with Bloomberg. You know, that's got a very interesting and unique culture. Anyone who's worked there knows what that's like. Had clients, you know, who are Fortune 500 companies. I really came into culture work because as an attorney, you know, I come in on the tail end. After the mistakes are made, I'm, I'm there yeah. to, to <laughs> clean those up. And it really got me thinking, what happens if we can change these systems? really focus on organizational design that we can really kind of guard against not only legal risk and that type of exposure, but really making sure that these companies are investing wisely. From my perspective, the best investments, it's not automation, you know, it's not necessarily data, it's people. We humans are, have been, and will continue to be a company's greatest resource. As a trial attorney, were you working on behalf of the employer or the employee? I was working on behalf of the employer. That's a very unique perspective. And of course, again, builds in that risk management because I'm helping clean up. But for me, you know, I'm always just asking, well, why? 
why are these decisions being made? And how is this furthering your articulated goals and the value that you're seeking to provide to your industry? And ultimately, it's all come down to culture. What sort of issues did you see? And you don't have to disclose the nitty gritty details or the, the horrifying details of what happened in the maybe as a toxic workplace or whatever the claims would show. But I'm curious if there's anything that stemmed from just having a bad culture, like what were those things that happened that led to trial? Yeah, we just see really poor decision making, right? And we see a misalignment between articulated goals and leadership and the types of leadership, you walk into C-suites and they've got a very clear vision. Sometimes, right? They've got a very different vision of how to operate, what their core value is, how they're making decisions than middle management and some of the other levels of leadership. But so by the time you get down to an employee, what they're experiencing, often very different from what the founders, what those in the C-suite have envisioned. Again, when I'm thinking about systems and processes, I realize that it's an issue in the organizational design. And looking at that problem, my question was, how do we weave a company's core value into the fabric of that day-to-day decision-making? What does that look like? And how are we able to really impact that? Get companies to understand that your culture not about ping pong tables and unlimited kombucha. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's great. That's part of it. Your culture comes down to how you're making decisions, how you're articulating your value, and how you're attracting and keeping the best talent within your respective industry. It is interesting that there isn't a lot of focus. I think some employers are really good about this, but people might state values and they might have even stated behaviors about what it means to work that organization, but they're not aligning their middle management and their key leaders. In fact, this morning, I was reading an article, and maybe you've heard about this, but it's, it's very public. The Ellen DeGeneres show, they are having... It's in the news because it was uh, apparently a toxic workplace. And Absolutely. employees are speaking out. And apparently what was happening just from... I'm reading between the lines, but it sounds like there was three executive level producers that were basically in charge of the show, shielding the talent, which is Ellen DeGeneres, her right. names on the show. But then all this is coming out and it's in a very public fashion. And she's coming to say like, you know, when we started the show, our values were stated as being respectful and Absolutely. all those key words, right? But it something turned. And yeah. It wasn't integrated throughout the culture of the organization. It wasn't living up to what they stated. Is that a common thing that you're seeing in organizations? Very much so. And you know, it's always interesting because we live in a an environment, we live in the future, right? So you it's not just where you can game glass door and make sure that I you see know, people trying to do that though. Exactly, exactly. And and to those listening, stop, right? You're not gonna be yeah. successful. But we live in a space where you're able to build community. So you're not able to just have kick disgruntled employees out the door and never hear from them again. They're able to broadcast their experience to the world through these social media you know, applications. And then it's not sufficient and doesn't breed a level of trust and credibility for those in the C-suite to say, I didn't know. How can you sit there in Ellen's example you know, it's very hard to believe that it's the Ellen show, right? It's not these three industry, you know, these three <laughs> leaders 
when Ellen comes out and says, Hey guys, didn't know this was happening. So sorry to hear it. Call him BS on that. Right. Well, how? And we see that across industries, right? It's not just within entertainment. We see this across industries. That's really interesting to me. I recently had a conversation with a founder and we were discussing culture, the value of putting these systems in place. We very often we see around maybe about 100 employees, these companies start to scale very quickly and their organizational systems are just not built to handle that growth. As I'm speaking with him, he said, you know, I just, we don't have it in our budget. We don't have the money to do that. And they said, okay, well, let's start with what we know. And by we, me, but I'm imparting this information to you. We know that being listed as the best place to work is going to increase your company's stock price by 0.75%. We know that 75% of employees agree that culture drives employee engagement. We know that engaged employees increase company profit by more than 3%, just with an extra 15 minutes of productivity. If you're making over a million dollars in revenue, that's an extra 30,000 that's added to your bottom line. And I hear people say that they can't afford to spend on culture. My response is you can't afford not to. It just doesn't make sense to me. Having these conversations and really looking at what these companies say, we want to grow. And whether they want to grow and sell the company, whether they want to establish a legacy. With Ellen, we know this is more of a, a legacy issue. Your legacy is tarnished, right? Because we haven't taken care to bring that humanist back to your organizational design. And if you're looking to sell, you're compromising your ability to do so if you're now perceived as a risk, if your credibility is compromised. That's a really good point that I really wouldn't have necessarily thought of. If you have a great culture, that might be is an appealing factor for some purchaser, even on the consumer side of things. Because as we have happy employees and you produce good products and good services, that is a reflection on the culture too. Consumers or even business, people purchasing a business or mergers, acquisitions, anything like that. Culture is a huge component to that. It's a huge component. Let's look at like Facebook, for example. Facebook reported their Q2, I think they reported, you know, the highest profits that they'd seen. But that's at the end of June. And right at that time, we see that this culture of innovation and openness and happy employees is vastly undercut by the departure of employees and these workplace links and all of these people. We have Max Wang, you know, who comes out and says, hey, listen, He's an engineer that's been with them for a while too, right? Exactly. He's an important piece of the company. Precisely. So you go from that culture to a culture of disgruntled employees who are saying, we're now working in a culture of mistrust and confusion. We don't understand what's going on. We don't trust what's going on. And the main question comes down to how are these decisions being made? We're seeing that as, you know, consumers, whether you're on Instagram or WhatsApp or, you know, Facebook. That's leaking out into your consumer base. I expect Q3 and Q4, that'll be really interesting to see what that looks like for Facebook. Yeah, it's fascinating because a large organization like that, it's like, how do you... I mean, you can't necessarily handle what employees are going to say about you. But the best thing you can do is set yourself up to where employees aren't speaking out about your decision-making or toxic culture. To have a good culture, to have like this 
really good. I think you even said these words, cultural architecture, like have that foundation of something good, then employees and leaders know how to behave and it aligns with the overall value system and behaviors, right? Absolutely. And it provides, you know, again, bringing that legal experience back, right? The best defense is a great offense, right? If we can counteract a disgruntled employee by saying, you know, they say, ah, this is a place that that doesn't align with my value. You now are able to come forward and say, okay, that's fine. But this is what our value is. We know what we stand for. We're very clear in what we stand for. Again, if this is in keeping with your brand, we're very transparent. This is what we're doing. Here's our leadership and board alignment strategy. Here are the initiatives that we're taking to make sure that our employees are engaged, that they feel they can grow, and that we really value them. And especially, we're living through a global pandemic. Who would have thunk it? (laughs) um, (laughs) Now you're needing to transmute that employee engagement and transport it into their homes. How do you do that? Right? There's so many other. That's a great question. Yeah. Do you know the answer to that? Because I think part of having a great culture is, you know, obviously having those core values and belief systems. And then also even stating like behaviors that people should be acting upon regularly. How do leaders do that when people are all remote? Or I'm not saying everybody's in a remote situation, but many people are. How do you handle that? How do you maintain your culture while everybody's spread apart? It's actually great timing for us because we do have a proprietary methodology that we use to kind of bring everyone in line. And that's actually not affected whether or not this person's working from home. And I think provides the perfect opportunity because this person's within a space of comfort. I've spoken with people about employee engagement during this time. There are a few things that I think employers can do. One is to be in line with your employees' mood, with their engagement, know what that looks like and manage your own expectations. You're not going to be able to have an engaged employee who has six hours of back-to-back Zoom meetings. It's not happening. How are you supporting them? Because now, like I said, your greatest asset is going to be your people. Your humans are going to be your greatest resource. So how can you support your employees? So that can look like breaking down the barriers between departments, having some intersectional collaboration between departments, employee care kits, I think is a really interesting and creative way. And not just... What's that? Explain that. Yes. It's not just sending a coffee cup, even if it's full of the unlimited kombucha that you would have had. (laughs) I expect wine or beer in my employee care. Exactly. (laughs) Providing an employee care kit. So what does that look like? That could be maybe you're providing backgrounds for them, depending on what their home life is like. These can be cost effective. Taking care to provide the systems necessary for them to work efficiently and effectively. Managing your own expectations. Again, for those who have kids, pets, live in multi-generational households, they're caring for a parent or a child or both. They might get their best work done at 3 a.m. That needs to be okay for now. If they can't sit there from nine to five and constantly produce because so-and-so needs a snack, so-and-so needs to go for a walk, that's just the reality. And if you're insistent on replicating your brick and mortar model within people's individual homes, 
you're not really going to be successful. I was just talking to a colleague this morning about just like what's to come in terms of the culture and flexibility and all that. And all the states are a little different, but I think the recommendations are coming down from the feds just about school and what some states are doing. And I'm in Oregon. I don't know what it's like in New York where you're at, but in Oregon, they're basically saying like at least the first three months, everything's virtual. Right. Right. So what that means for employers then is likely all virtual still during that time. Now parents have demands. Now they're becoming teachers or they're having to help their kids. What does that mean from a work standpoint? I think the culture of flexibility is going to matter more than ever right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny. I'm actually a board of education commissioner. (laughs) Thinking about that from multiple angles, right? How do you provide safe spaces for children to learn? But also for the businesses I'm working with, you know, understanding that these parents, am I going to be able to work? And that's where, again, that flexibility, having flex days. We've seen some companies providing backup child and adult care, subsidizing those opportunities, providing even some safe in-person connection, you know, opportunities for employees to kind of just get outside, get a breather and really connect. And we've even found having these virtual happy hours at the end of the week or different initiatives like that, really bringing those teams back together, making them feel part of the company. And I think the number one thing that companies need to do at this time is to communicate and clearly communicate and have your actions and your words align. (laughs) Yeah, that's the key, right? Don't say that you're supportive and then not back that up. I want to shift that. That's a good segue because you basically said, like, make sure that the actions tie to the words, right? Otherwise, it's lip service, right? And I see this a lot in diversity. Employers want to say they want to be diverse, like, we have diverse culture. And you even provided data just a little bit ago about why diversity matters and how it makes businesses more successful and effective. I'm curious from your standpoint and your experience, how have you seen diversity play? key role in making businesses more effective and successful. And well, I'll ask another question, but I want to see what your perspective is on that first. We've seen a huge push for diversity, I'd say within the past, let's say five years. And even now we're in the midst of a social justice movement where we are having to confront issues around and within racial equity and what that looks like. And We are now seeing companies that are being taken to task, right? And really, really challenged on why and how does diversity fit within your particular core values and how is that expressed throughout your company? It's great if you post a black square on Instagram, but if all of the leaders are, there's no women, there's no people of color, where is the diversity within your company? And I think we have enough information to know that it's not enough and it's not necessarily accurate that the talent there doesn't exist. The business case for diversity, we understand that if you have people who come from different backgrounds, who can appreciate different perspectives, that's only going to increase your ability to understand and engage in different markets. For those who are just like, ah, is it going to be profitable? Because, you know, again, everybody's in business to make money and that's fine, but there's a business case for it. And quite frankly, as I see a lot of companies, they're eager to engage in the zeitgeist, right? They're eager to provide support. And very often they're just saying, I want to do something. I don't know what to do. 
that's where we're able to have them take the opportunity to engage and really to look back at their employees and say, geez, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, and for our employees that don't reflect the background that maybe I as a, a founder come from, how can I connect with, engage and develop this employee because they have a lot to offer? I'm a double minority, right? I'm a black woman. As an attorney, that represents black women, I think represent about maybe 2% of the base of attorneys in America. Oh, but even, wow. yeah, and when you look it's at it, it's that low, huh? Yeah, it's that low. 5% of attorneys in the United States are African American. But we look at founders, right? We see that Black women are some of the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs. But when we look at acquiring capital, it's not even 1%, yep. it's no, a small percentage. Now, is it true that these people don't have great ideas? No, right? We know that that's not the case, but it's really the ability to bridge that gap and kind of move a little bit past your obvious comfort zone, right? <laughs> and be able to <laughs> make those connections. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Anybody who would say, eh, there's no business case for diversity, I call complete BS on that yeah. just because it's like, do you like to make money? Because right. <laughs> The market is changing. Our audiences are changing. The way people interact with our buyer services and our products, they're changing. And if you don't have a diverse workforce, how do you expect to reach that audience? Absolutely. And it's an absolute it, no brainer to me. Precisely. And if you're looking to expand and, and scale globally, you're only going to, you know, base your group in Europe when, you know, Asia and Africa are booming, you know, in terms of their development and and all of that, I just, it doesn't make a lot of sense logically. I want to move a little bit to the social justice movement right now. I think there's just a lot of emotion. There's a lot of people scrambling to respond, or in some cases, they're not responding. So I wanted to ask you just about those organizations who are either thinking, I need to say something about what's going on right now. I need to say something to my customers. I need to say something to my employees. Because it can be, you know, to address issues like this, it can be a culture builder. Or if you say the wrong thing, it could take away from that as well. So I think that we're in this weird spot where employers are like, do I stay silent? But there's people out there that believe that silence is what perpetuates a lot of the issues and racism that we experience to this day. I buy into that as well. But there's also this notion of like, I don't want to say something wrong and offend people. I haven't thought through this message. And I don't know what to say quite yet, but I want to say something eventually. What's the right answer if there is one? Brittany, help me out. Yeah. <laughs> Especially as a Black woman, you could, you could help me out with this. <laughs> Be one speaker for all Black women now. Yeah, right. um, well, we've got a lot of different voices. So I will just lend my own personal experience and the conversations that I've had with C-suites. And the number one question I ask is, do you want to have the first response or do you want to have the best response? That's the approach that we take. It's okay to say, I don't know. From where I sit, looking at, at culture, because culture really affects your credibility within your industry. If you are putting yourself out there and arguing that you are an advocate of diversity and you know all of these yeah. things, and your employees, both former and current, come out and say, actually, you're not, 
establish whole social media campaigns around that fact, that's really going to hurt your credibility. With anything that you do, you really want to take the time to be deliberate and be sincere and really figure out how your company can contribute to that. Now, that's not saying that every company is going to be out on the front line and be the social justice warriors, but everyone has an opportunity to contribute, even if it's writing a check. Absolutely. These are the organizations, you know, and again, this is where you engage your community. This is where you take a stance and it's an opportunity for a company to check in and say, what are our core values? What's happening? What's being asked? Okay, equity, fairness. These are things that we align with and that we support. And we want to make sure that our employees, that our consumers, that those within the industry understand that we stand for that as well. And so again, you know, we see companies said, listen, these are the organizations that we're backing. This is what we're doing within our own situation. But again, do you take the time to know what you don't know? You know, instead of saying, ah, we're super diverse and we're totally behind this and we're going to use all of the hashtags. Right. And then we look at your employee base and it's... <laughs> it doesn't match. It yeah. doesn't <laughs> match, right? I'm all about alignment. I encourage sincerity. I encourage thoughtfulness. And I really encourage seeking out. You don't need to be... If you're in business, you may be a thought leader in certain things. But very often, this is outside of the scope of a lot of businesses. And that's okay. But you have help. It is interesting to see just the wide spectrum of how people are taking action in this. Like you were just kind of saying, like those that are saying, I don't know, but I'm going to learn. I tend to be in that camp. And that's why I'm having conversations with people like you who can educate me. I've had several other conversations. I'm doing a book club. I'm managing it next week. I'm doing breakouts on White Fragility, that book. Yeah. Fascinating book. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I'm early on in my journey to learn. And I think there's a lot of employers out there that are in that camp that just need to learn. That's what their culture is about. It's about evolving and learning and seeking to understand, really. And then there's on the other end of the spectrum, a company like Nike, who's a global brand who has the dollars to push out an amazing campaign. Last night, I was watching NBA. It's back. And the ad that they... I don't know if you saw that ad. Yeah, yeah. Where they cut together like professional athletes and maybe amateur athletes. And oh, it was just incredible editing. Their visuals are like, it's not just about sport anymore. It's about global diversity. And the message was so deep. But I'm like, gosh, it'd be nice if all of us could be like that. But see, they're, if they don't say anything, they're at risk of alienating people who buy their products because they right. have a truly it's global... <laughs> it's a global, diverse brand. Like People of all races and colors and locations are buying their product. If they didn't say anything, they're at risk. But for the most organizations, they don't need to quite have that sort of campaign. They just need to take action in some way, whether it's learning or writing to check, as you said, or volunteering or supporting others. I do want to hazard those who are part of different organizations. It's not an opportunity to turn to your the employee of color or who is differently abled or something and say, you know, teach me, <laughs> right? That's They're there to do their job. And again, there are opportunities to engage with various firms to really figure out how to do this. But at the same time, you want to 
get perspective. So that's really the job of management. And it's really the job of those in charge to decide on the particular type of leadership and understand where their employees are now. And I think whether you're talking about social justice, whether you're talking about a business, you need to be able to see clearly. And I deal with a lot of founders who it's their company, it's their baby. No one wants to hear that their baby isn't cute, you know, (laughs) (laughs) or that their baby's not brilliant. It's not an opportunity to come in and judge and say, you know, listen, you're doing terrible. It's really an opportunity to grow because if you're doing good, you could be great. If you're doing great, you could be excellent. And if you're not in either of those camps, well, there's always room to improve. I've worked with some people and they've said, well, we've tried these diversity initiatives and retention's really low, right? Or, mm. or we have... That means there's something deep is rooted in the culture that's making it fail. Exactly. I was looking at a few studies around retention. We know that a lot of companies, they've adopted this idea that, oh, millennials are going to stay between 18 and 24 months. That's all we can get out of them. We'll just turn them out. I'm a millennial and I've worked (laughs) for the same company for 12 years. So that is incorrect. (laughs) You, you, my friend, are a unicorn. That is true. (laughs) When we look at that, we know that it's on average going to take a company about 12 months for them to see a return on their investment in this employee, now you've given yourself another six to 12 months of having them before they're leaving. And that cost of turnover is on average between six to nine months of that employee's salary. You're losing money hand over fist when there are very deliberate solutions that you and initiatives that you can take to address that. You know, I think as far as diversity is concerned, a lot of business, there's a lot of opportunity for growth. It can feel awkward if you're posting this very uncomfortable post and then your next post is, and by the way, you know, buy our cookware, buy our bikinis, you know, buy whatever. Yeah. 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 It's very odd. But I also think that over time, we're going to, because now people are watching. It's great now that this is the hot topic, but over time, how are you going to confirm that a year from now, 18 months from now, five years from now, you've really learned something, right? And this isn't just the trendy thing to do because other people are doing it. What I hear you saying is employers, leaders need to put in the work. It's going to be a long-term thing. It's not just a diversity training and we're done. That's not a... It needs to be deep rooted into the culture and part of it. And that's how we win. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, thinking about it as company cultural architecture, I always liken it to a house. We're really working to build the foundation. And for those who are already established, who are past that 100 person point, there are thousands of employees. That's not to say that they don't have room for growth. And they do. But again, like you said, it's nice to have the feel-good workshop once a year and you know everyone comes out and now they're irritated because that's taken an hour of their day. They now need to make up. But like I said, really making sure that we're addressing the day-to-day decision-making and making sure that people are really rooted in those values at every level. Brittany, it has been a pleasure having you on this podcast. I went a little bit longer because this conversation was so important and it was amazing. You're amazing. Where can people learn more about you and whatever you're up to? You tell people where they should find you. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. 
I can be found at bndconsultinggroup.com. That's B as in boy and as in Nancy, D as in dog or diversity. <laughs> Consultinggroup.com, BND Consulting on all of the socials. Always happy to engage in LinkedIn. When you visit the site, we also have right now, we're pushing the four horsemen of employee engagement, the four traits that if missing within your workforce, you're going to have an issue. We're providing some guidance on adjusting to a post-COVID workplace. You can find me there. And yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, Brittany. 